Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Senior. This is part two. As we're looking at the simple uncluttered gospel versus antinomianism, let me summarize. This is where we left part one, strictly because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. And this is the simple uncluttered gospel. I mean, this is where we need to focus, right? Strictly because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. God adores me as much as the Father adores the Son and the Son adores the Father. It's not based upon my holiness, but his. It's not based upon my keeping the law, but his keeping the law. And for me to to make a claim on it, I would have had to kept the law 100% of the times from birth, maybe from inside the womb, and I didn't. <laughs> it's not like I can now change, and even if I could be perfect, which I can't. The point is, he was perfect, and his record is now applied mysteriously, wonderfully to my biography, right? So that stuns me. It's it's better than any gift I've ever received. It sounds too good to be true, and yet it's true. And that's not antinomian. That is hypernomian. Antinomian, if you recall, is really taking the law lightly, is preaching simple grace, easy grace, um, that because Jesus said the law, I don't have to anymore, that that was Old Testament, New Testament is, we can do whatever we want. Well, that's antinomian. We don't believe that, not a gospel app. We believe in hypernomian. You're not going to do it, neither am I. But the good news is Jesus did, and 2,000 years ago, his life, death, and resurrection purchased that record for me. And so God now has to love me as much as the Father loves the Son, and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Spirit loves the Father, and it's based upon his covenant promise. He has to, right? Humanly speaking, technically, in a sense— he has to. By the way, he does. They're the same thing in the in the lap of God. As I am, not as I should be. He loves me the sinner. He loves me the addict. He loves me the, I mean, you fill in the blank, the imperfect human, the, 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 the human who's hurting other people, the human who struggles with faith. Wow. And it's his love for me as I am that's a game changer. It's God's kindness that leads me to repentance, Romans 2, 4. And this is troubling for some theologians who, who have been immersed in Christianityism uh, that basically says, God loves you as much as you perform. They would never put it that way, but that's the implication of what they teach. So look, if you're, if you're that theologian, yeah, maybe I'm being a little too aggressive. Just chill and process this a little bit. Think about it. Uh, because what we're talking about is being hypernomian. And this is what it looks like. And you might ask, well, what about sin? You don't talk much about sin. I don't see sin much in the simple and cluttered gospel. What about the command to holiness? It's all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. Shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be leaning into not sinning? I guess that's bad grammar, but you know what I mean? Yes. Well, to oversimplify, let me say there are two strategies toward that holiness. And I say towards, but we, because we won't reach it till heaven, right? Wouldn't we all admit that? I hope we would admit that. So there's two strategies that, uh, leaning, biblically leaning towards biblical holiness. First, and we've just been speaking about it in the previous podcast, like a good secular humanist, you can choose to look for your significant security and belonging more in God's arm than anywhere else all the time. And if you pull it off by your own hands and effort and free will and choice, 
God will bless you uh, or bless you more or favor you or favor you more or smite you less often. And you will lean into the middle of that self-effort spectrum. Remember that from legalism on one side and, uh, and antinomianism on the other side. Uh, but look around. If that would work, more of us would pull it off. More churches would pull it off. But show me that. Right? And again, perfectly. Romans 2.4, not just, well, better than yesterday. God's a screaming perfectionist. Honestly, what are we thinking? And there, good news, there's a second very biblical path, this hypernomic path, simple and cluttered gospel hypernomic path. Paul tells us that it's God's miraculous kindness that leads me to a change of behavior. Again, Romans 2, 4. Not just his kindness in general, that he pats me on the head. Satan sees God's kindness from a distance more than we do, and it's done him zero good at all. In fact, probably just ticks him off, gives him indigestion. But it's the present experience, right? Not just knowledge of, but experience of God's kindness for you right now as you are. And he has to, you have to experience right now as you are, right? Uh, how else are you going to experience it? His love for you and me as we are right now, not as we should be or could be, because if we waited for that, we'd never experience God's kindness. And this experience of God's present kindness for us as we are motivates us to want to do the law more. That's our brain, to be more holy. That's our brain. So this path is to first get something miraculous from God that makes me, makes me want to love others more, that makes me feel more love for others more. Right? A little or a lot, not my power, but God's power. Again, read Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Three times Paul talks about my need for power in order to begin to feel the love of Christ. Right? Because my brain has been so beat up, so traumatized, right? That 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 nasty critical voice reigns supreme in my midbrain and says, What? God can't love you after what you did? Not a shot. Oh yeah, you you pulled that off now, but what about last week? What about next week? And it's just shaming us. And so we put up these boundaries subconsciously. Well, what does it look like in, in practice? Uh, why can't we? It's because we're so broken and traumatized relationally. Our midbrain is just so beat up and we need miraculous alien motivation in the right spots of our brain to make us want to love God and to love others more, a little or a lot. And those are the two great commands of the law, right? To be hypernomic means to, to love God and love others with all my heart, mind, and soul all the time and have done that since birth. To not do that is the core of all sin. And if I feel more love for others, I'm sinning less because I sin less against people I love more. Make sense? Um, I'm not going to rob someone I love. I'm not going to... If I'm feeling love towards them, I'm going to abuse them or neglect them less. If I feel more of God's love for me, I will sin less. I will worship more. I will be thrilled with my Bible more. And this is the essence of being right, righteous. This is to be holy a little or a lot more than yesterday. And it begins with us experiencing that perfect love, God's love for us, 100% purchased by Jesus for us 2,000 years ago, a little bit more now than yesterday. Isn't it ironic? A secular humanized Christianityism well-meaningly tells us that it's all on your shoulders. 
Paul's Christianity, in contrast to that, is that it's all on God's shoulders. Our role is to admit our failure, that we can't do it, we won't do it, to admit our need, and to run to God with our hands open to receive his miraculous power and love for us, or else our subconscious will remain in prideful self-centeredness and be on that self-centered spectrum somewhere. And remember, in both cases from last podcast, no matter where you are on that, you're going to experience shame. And shame looks away, and shame looks away from God. The kindness and the love of God presently experienced, and that's the key. We all know that God loves us. Even Satan knows that God's love, but it does him little good. So we're speaking of the miraculous secret working of the Spirit, Calvin calls it, to make we Christians experience the love of God towards us right now, no matter how he finds us, where he finds us. He may find us in our sin. I mean, he does, technically speaking. He's going to find us in our pig pen to to, to talk about the prodigal son parable. Well, when I experience that, that motivates me to change my behavior, to want to love others. And that makes me love others a little more or a lot more. Calvin discovered in the Bible that the Spirit's passion is to make Christians feel God's love more now, which miraculously makes us want to love others more now, right? Hypernomian. It's simple. Have you ever been told this? Have you? Well, you might say, what about preaching more about sin and holiness? Yeah, we should. It's very biblical. It's hard to to preach anywhere in the Bible and not get this, right? I'm a fan of that, but I'm also very bad at it, meaning I'm I'm bad at sinning and I'm bad at holiness. And the more, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I feel it. And did I say I'm shame prone? (laughs) Right? But just preaching about sin and holiness, shaming people out of balance from the simple uncluttered gospel, which speaks of God's love for shamed people, can be very discouraging and even downright even more shaming to people who are trying. They just can't seem to pull it off, not to your standards from the pulpit. You're dis- they know they're disappointing you. They're disappointing Jesus even more, and they're shamed. And shamed people shame other people, and welcome to the Church of Christ in the United States. Look, if your people, or you for that matter, could stop sinning by just choosing to do it, we'd all be better off. But aren't we learning that our prefrontal cortex, that place where we make choices, discern good and bad, where our will is, that's the weakest part of our brain. See, where did we think it it was bigger than that? we've, We've been so affected by the Enlightenment, right? You know, I think, therefore I am. You studied that in high school, probably. And so we think that, we've been taught that, and this is part of secular humanism and Christianityism, that our will is the most important thing in our skulls, the most powerful. So we think it's a good strategy to focus our preaching and teaching and education seminary almost exclusively on people's prefrontal cortex. We preach, we teach, we convince, we reason with frontal lobes until they're so convinced they're popping. And therefore, we believe that that person will now choose to freely stop sinning, to stop being an addict, to stop being neglectful, to stop being irresponsible, and to start loving others and thinking of others more. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's, that's not working. I mean, biblically, look, go, do the do the passage search on us needing new hearts that only God can do the surgery of. All right, look around. 
People in the church don't look different from the people outside the church, right? That's been proven over and over in studies. Loving others is just not our brand anymore. By the way, talk to millennials. Shaming others is our brand. And we can use all the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques we want. And we might see short-term movement, but truth told, we're just shaming people long-term. If we could choose to love, if it was possible, right, if our prefrontal cortex had such sway, there would be fewer divorces, but they're not. There would be better marriages and fewer marriage seminars and fewer marriage seminars and books and classes. But we have so many of those and our numbers are as bad as everyone else's. Wake up and smell the roses, right? It's, it's, it's the definition of insanity to keep on doing what's not working over and over again. If we had the capacity in our brains, consciously and subconsciously, to choose to love and honor others, we would put most counselors out of business. Yet look at it. Not anywhere close. That that industry is booming, and even more so after COVID. So even under preaching and teaching from the best men and women ministers who are loved by God as much as me— It's not working. Why? Because the prefrontal cortex is not the strong man in the room. We've been investing in one of the weakest part of our brains, and it's not working. Our midbrains are so much more powerful. It uses very powerful chemicals and brain hormones to get stuff done, right? Dopamine, um, right? The reward cycle motivator, cortisol, the fear cycle motivator, oxytocin, sex and buddy and and, uh, connected chemicals, serotonin, and others. The prefrontal cortex, what chemicals does it have access to to trigger? Not much. Very, it's very wimpy, by the way. And here's one example. If I feel challenged or attacked or even triggered with an ancient memory of an attack, my amygdala, the part of my midbrain, is going to ignite a fear cycle at light speed. That's how it's designed by the designer, God. It will signal the immediate release of the powerful brain chemical cortisol that immediately light speed initiates the fight, flight, or freeze cycle without even consulting the prefrontal cortex. In fact, the prefrontal cortex would only slow things down a lot. So when you're attacked, you don't want to think about it. You don't want to reason good or bad and so forth. You want to act. You want to survive. So the designer of the brain made it so that the prefrontal cortex is chemically shut down, (laughs) is taken offline for a while. So check it out. And the counselors know this. When you're in the middle of a fear cycle, you're not being reasonable. You can't be, right? Now, you most likely think that you're being reasonable, but that's a blind spot. You're, you're not thinking. In that moment, you're not going to feel love for God or others. You're in survival mode. You're, you're thinking of survival. And your ch- the chances of you acting selfishly and with, without thought for others in the middle of a fear cycle is very, very high. And that would be the same for our brain's very powerful reward cycle. Very powerful, subconscious, the foundation of all addictions and addictive reactions. And, and by the way, not in the prefrontal cortex. It's hard to reach, hard to change. It's not geared towards loving others, only satisfying your own desires. This is brain science. So I would suggest that so many of our sins, and no doubt most, are daily not loving God or others, but rather loving ourselves is largely subconscious. It's still sin, by the way. We're still accountable for our choices and actions and motivations, but you can't just choose to stop sinning, no matter how many sermons you have 
heard on biblical view of holiness. Does that fit with your experience? Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it explain why things are so bad around Christians? So keep following me. Pastor, if you're ending your sermons this way, right, we're in trouble. And, and this is just, this keeps it going. This is, I want you to hear the shaming in this, all right? So if you're saying something like, so, congregation, the Bible says we're to choose to not sin in this area that I preached on, fill in the blank this week. So we're going to honor God by choosing to stop sinning in this area, fill in the blank, this week, because God hates it. And you don't want to disappoint Jesus. Well, preacher, what are the chances that you're not accomplishing anything other than shaming people that Jesus loves so much he died for them? Preaching truth and shaming at the very same time. And don't call that gnomic, uh, gnomian. It's a form of emotional and spiritual abuse, honestly. It's well-meaning, perhaps, but just stop it. By your own logic, how disappointed is Jesus in you when you are emotionally abusing the people in your charge, when you're shaming them, right? He can't be pleased with that. Check it out. Paul says that you and I need God's power to pull this loving God and loving others off, to not ask for God's power at the end of every message in some form or fashion, and to not ask for God's love and to not ask for the Spirit's ability to make us feel that love is a sin. You're sinning against your congregation, your flock, right? You're, you're creating implicitly self-sufficiency. That's what you're requiring. And that's another form of pride, which is sin. You're encouraging sin and ultimately shame when they fall short, right? It's so much better to say something like this, right? I'm not going to leave you without an option. Here's what you can say. All right, so you've preached the sermon it's about God's hatred for a particular sin, Jesus teaching against a particular sin, let's say pride, uh, being stingy, not loving others, whatever it might be, okay? So at the end, you say, so here's what God commands related to this sin. He hates it. So we should stop doing it, but, and then pause for emphasis, that's the rub, isn't it? If we could choose to stop it, we would have. I know you. You're well-meaning. Our problem is so much deeper. We are prone to that sin even subconsciously where we can't see in those dark, murky areas of our midbrain, more than we want to admit. Let's face it. We're supposed to be loving God and others with all our heart, minds, and soul, but no one does it. No one here does it. I don't even do it. I mean, 100%. The goal is not to do that better than me. That's a low bar. So I'm not going to lie to your congregation. You can't do it. You won't do it. You won't choose to stop. And you won't be successful being holy long-term, me either. So now what? Well, good news. There is one person who did and does love God and love others that much, Jesus. He did it 100% of the time, we're told. And good news, Jesus' spirit is is in your inner being, still loving God, the Father, and the Son, and loving others, including others with all the love in the universe if they're adopted children, and loving them far more than you do if they're not adopted children. And he's been doing it 24-7. So our problem is that we have been trying to do the law on our own power, and it doesn't work. I mean, how's that gone for you? 
If I told you to just stop doing the sin this week, I would just be shaming you. I'd be setting you up for a fall. Rather, we're taught in passages such as Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, that we can access power from God, right? Not us, through the Spirit and our inner being in order that we will begin to grasp a little or a lot the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for ourselves, others, and God. All right, so, so how? Because that's where we want to be. Well, we stop thinking that post-cross we can do it on our own. We will mess up. By the way, that's sin 100% of the time by God's measuring standards. Right Again, you might be better than your neighbor, but we're talking about God's biblical standards presented in the law. But if we ask that he gives us his power and makes us feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Jesus towards us and others a little or a lot, can you imagine the difference it would make in our desire and ability to love God back and to love others more a little or a lot? Not perfectly, that's heaven, but more than before. And then have everybody say the simple uncluttered gospel aloud and then invite them to say it twice a day. Anybody can do it. It's off the spectrum Christianity. It's hypernomic and will be a finger poke in the eyes of those who originally invested in self-effort Christianityism, to be sure. And you just may be accused of being antinomian. But as I have argued, that's absurd. You are a hypernomian whose guilt and shame were already carried by Jesus on your behalf 2,000 years ago. And so you can ask boldly to feel that love for you, the, the height and width and length and depth of it right now. And that's step number one. What should happen when you do? Well, you should feel more loved. You should feel more lovable. That's a good thing. You should feel more filled to the full with the fullness of God. Whatever that is, it's got to be great. So you won't need that medication as much, that self-medication as much, that thing that's addictive as much. You won't need to get sketchy love as much. And you'll begin to feel a different sort of love for others, his love. And you will begin to do the law a little bit more than you could ever have done it before, right? Show me a Christian who has decided to go it alone due to our preaching for the last couple decades and not need God's power, not need God. I mean, God's up in heaven somewhere. I mean, I got to do this on my own and we don't need power to obey, right? We've been given the law. Why would he tell us to do this if we can't do it on our own? We don't need a present experience of the height and width and length and depth of love of Jesus to obey the law. We don't need the spirit. And I'll show you a failure, uh, a law failure, a true antinomian in practice. Some combination of arrogance and shame and blind spots, but very little spiritual fruit. And eventually, I can predict, they will burn out or crash in shame and defeat. Now, show me a regular Christian who is aware that they can't do it without big-time help on a regular basis from God, and who daily asks the Spirit to give them access to God's power and Jesus's love for them and others. And I'll show you a person who is beginning to feel the love of God for themselves and for others more and more, little or a lot. Again, not perfectly. That's heaven, but it should be noticeable. They will be your best missionaries, your best evangelists, your best fathers and mothers and children best employers, best givers, best prayers, best worshipers. They may even begin to experience some joy. Wouldn't that be something? This person is a hypernomian and is feeling more and more loved by God as they are at the same time, right? They're off that spectrum. And all credit for any holiness and righteousness 
has to go to God. The sin-prone person's role is admission of their inability to do the law, their conscious and subconscious inability to choose to do rightly, their inability and, and unwillingness to love others and love God as much as the Bible says they should. And then they humbly, in humiliation, I'm going to link those two together, I mean really humbly, uh, and hope, ask God boldly to make them feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for them and others as they are. In the end, this person will begin to look a little more like Jesus. And here's how we have provocatively put it in the gospel app. In all of our discipleship and small group materials, the online spiritual intensives, the Forgiving Path, www.forgivingpath.com, which is designed to help folk deal with those nasty, unforgiven wounds and hurts. Remember, Jesus says we're supposed to forgive that much, but we don't. Uh, And then the second online spiritual gospel intensive, The Dance, which is designed to help regular Christians deal with a nagging sense of not-enoughness and disconnectedness, which is shame and loneliness epidemic in our world today, particularly post-COVID. And and all of the stuff that we put on our website, we emphasize that our goal— Listen, and we're being provocative here, is not to become more like Jesus, rather to become more dependent upon him. Now, of course, we're being provocative to get attention and and to to remember this. And in the end, the only way for us, the way we are, to become more like Jesus, meaning more holy and more loving of others, is to become more and more dependent upon him and his spirit, period. I mean, have you been taught that? Have you been practicing that? Do you know how to practice that? I mean, that's our passionate gospel app. And if you bypass this dependence or even the admission of need for dependence, you're going to crash and burn sooner or later. You're going to, you're going to swim in your shame. You'll, you might just even leave church and you will not get to holiness. Well, truth told, you may get to holiness of the Pharisees who murdered Jesus, but that's not what we're talking about, right? All we need is need, and most of the time, we don't have that. So, like I said in the first podcast, don't be pushed around by the well-meaning theologian who may accuse you of being antinomian. I get it. It's what they've been taught. Uh, They think they believe. Maybe they do. But truth told, at a certain level, they have that same critical inner voice that tells them on a regular basis they fall short, that shames them. And... (laughs) Shame leads to shaming, and more shame, which leads to more shaming, and it's a vicious cycle. But believe me, I get it. If they're a Jesus follower, God loves them as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, all because of what Jesus did on their behalf, too, just like me. But here's the thing. They've added nothing to make God like them one iota more than he already does. They just aren't feeling it right now, or maybe for a long time, and they're afraid to let the dogs loose. But don't let them drag you back into that self-effort spectrum. No hope there. There's no miracle there. It's just shame. They are being antinomian. If you want to see what a basic discipleship program looks like that's immersed in this simple and cluttered gospel that resists Christianityism and secular humanism and deism, uh, it's very creative. It's very powerful. It's relevant. It's simple. It doesn't use a lot of church speak. Check out the Take Heart YZ discipleship material on our website, gospel-app.com. Six half-hour lessons, professional videos, plus discussions done by young adults. Uh, Everything's all prepared for you, uh, and enjoy it. If you want to experience a little of this simple and cluttered gospel experientially, check out our online spiritual intensives, the dance, the-dance.org. 
It is designed in two short hours to be that drip, drip, drip that begins to cause uh, the simple, uncluttered gospel to seep into your midbrain a little or a lot. It's very, very powerful. It's preaching the gospel to that nasty, critical voice in your brain. We talk a lot about that. It's a lot of fun. Um, we've had great success. Does it work? You know, we can even scientifically prove it. We use before and after surveys to uh, show you changes that happen in only two hours. You can do it on any smart device. It's satisfaction guaranteed, by the way. And and listen, because you listened to this podcast and made it to the end, use the coupon code SUMMER2021 to get a 30% discount off the price of the dance. And it's good for a short time only, so work fast. And tell your shame friends, just pass on that coupon. That's fine. And let's get the party going. We can do better than this, Christians. And by the way, if you want to attend one of my classes through Take Heart YZ, contact me at bill at gospel app, bill at gospel dash app.com. In the meantime, I'm begging you, say the simple and cluttered gospel aloud. That's important. Aloud twice a day. Uh, hook up with somebody and say it to them and let them say it aloud to you. It's very powerful. You're preaching the good news to your midbrain and that nasty inner critical voice, drip, 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 to initiate a new habit that can push against the old voice that believes that God would be more pleased with you if you only did fill in the blank more, right? This repetition, the drip, drip, drip is so effective. And you can order the bookmarks with a simple and cluttered gospel from the website, very inexpensive. Like I said at the end of the last podcast, I'm sure that this uh, has bothered some people and they want to push back. They want to get into a spitting contest. Come on, bring it on. Uh, I'm happy to hear from you. Just just be kind. Don't get nasty. Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to hear from you. I really mean that. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take heart, child of God. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.